Will you join me in prayer, please? So, Jesus, this is the morning where your name is exalted all over the entire earth because you are the resurrected one, the king of all kings. And now I just ask that in this time, your Holy Spirit will pervade this room and that it will, uh, he will then speak to our hearts and reveal to us anew the beauty of grace, the grace we received by your work done on that fateful day nearly 2,000 years ago. We stand as objects of that grace, having received that which we have not earned. And we want to celebrate you by listening and receiving anew that which was written about that day. So Lord, if our hearts have grown cold, warm them again. Relight the fire, rekindle it. If our hearts have never burned for you, help us to believe and receive. Father, I want to say thank you for the story of love that began back in the garden when you, having created mankind, you desired relationship with them. And yes, even before they made the mistake of disobeying you and bringing sin into this world, you already had a plan by which that would not thwart our ability to have a relationship with you. And so you began to reveal the story of Jesus. For us on this side of the cross, we know that story. And so again, Father, we acknowledge you as being the true creator God, the lover of your creation. And we're the recipients and objects of that love, and we say thank you. So Jesus, in this moment, as we learn more about you, teach us afresh and anew. Give us new picture and new vision. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you're here visiting this morning, let me introduce myself. My name is Tony Hunt, and I'm pastor here at LAFC, and we welcome you here on this very special day. And, uh, and I see we, we do have some more seats in here, so if there are people out in the lobby, if you wish to come in, there are seats over here on my left if you would like to be in here, although you can see me straight on. I see some of you back there. I'll wave. But uh, anyway, this is a special morning. And, uh, and it's exciting to be able to speak to it because there is no greater day than what happened nearly 2,000 years ago than the day that the tomb was opened and Jesus resurrected. That is our celebration today. But I want to give more picture, more enlightenment to what happened on that day. You see, first thing in the morning, there were a group of women that went to that tomb to provide the typical uh, practices of providing spices and, and oils that would provide an aromatic covering over a decaying body. They came and discovered that the tomb was open and they went in only to find that Jesus wasn't there and be greeted by an angel who said, he is not here, he is risen. The women ran back to the place where the disciples were staying and the disciples believing that this, this could possibly be the very thing Jesus spoke of, but yet doubt still kind of intermixed. They ran to the tomb and discovered the same thing that the women had. But not all believed that morning. 
Not all those that were a part of that journey that had seen Jesus do all that he had done were in belief. We're in a series out of the book of Luke. And Luke is a great story. It was written later. It was a collection of investigation done by Dr. Luke to understand all that happened during Jesus' lifetime. We've been studying since Christmas the life of Christ and looking at how he lived so that we can then model our lives after him. Today, we're going to look at a very special moment how Jesus handled doubt and hopelessness with his followers. So we're going to turn to the book of Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and we'll begin in verse 13. If you do not have a Bible with you, our ushers would be glad to provide one for you. And this can be our gift to you if you do not own one as well. So the context is we have a morning that has already began like no other, unexpected messages. But not all those who heard the testimony of the women, not all those who heard the testimony of the men that ran to the tomb, believed that morning. And that's where we're going to pick up the story of two of the insiders, two of the inner circle of Jesus are taking a walk on the road to Emmaus. We're going to begin in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus asked, What things? As if he was clueless, right? So, what things? So you have a situation where you have these two men that are walking about a two-hour journey from Jerusalem to northeast of Jerusalem in a little village called Emmaus. Now, as we continue reading in this text here in a moment, you'll discover that these two men, while we only know the name of one of them, Cleopas, uh, we don't know exactly what role that they had within the followers of Jesus. But we do suspect that they were part of the 72 that were sent out that we read about a few weeks ago in earlier parts of Luke. And so, because there were the 12, but there was a greater group of about 72 and then even a bigger group of 500 that were regularly around Jesus. Now we know that they were some of that, likely that inner circle of 72 or less because they referenced later in this text, which we'll read here in a moment, they referenced the women that had gone to the tomb and met an angel and referred to these women as our women. And then they referenced the apostles who came after the women to the tomb and acknowledged that they found the tomb empty just as well. So you would think that these two men would be wanting to stay in Jerusalem because some curious things have begun to happen. I mean, after all, a, an angel spoke and said he had risen. That probably right there is enough to say, I'm curious, I'm sticking around. 
but they did not. Even with the apostles verifying what the women had said, they still chose to go away and go home. So they take this two-hour walk. Their faces are downcast. They are not filled with hope. In fact, they are riddled with doubt. And Jesus shows up. And he starts walking along and he hears their discussion and says, what are you guys talking about? And they're shocked like, what do you mean what are we talking about? Where have you been? Have you not been in Jerusalem these last few days? So clearly, the storyline around Jesus, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, was a known story throughout Jerusalem. You see, just the week before, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem as a king, being celebrated as a king. And so word had spread all throughout uh, Jerusalem that perhaps the Messiah has indeed come. The news didn't stop there. On Monday, Jesus shows up to the temple, clears it, and then guards it and makes sure that the people cannot come back in to rob of others. And then Jesus spent the next three days in that temple teaching and healing. And it said the crowds grew around the temple. In fact, they were so amazed by the works of Jesus that week that children began to come in droves and sing songs of praise about Jesus. And then Thursday happens, and Jesus recourses and goes into a hidden room with his disciples and begins to speak final things, if you will. Only for Friday to happen where a public execution happens of Jesus. The bloody torture of a man that had come in being considered as the Messiah or the Christ. They were crushed. They chose to allow themselves to be crushed and hopeless and doubtful. Instead of sticking around with the potential of good news, they leave town. In fact, it's rather uh, strange to me that they would leave because that week, we know multiple times Jesus said, I have come to suffer. Before he had suffered at all, he is saying, I have come to suffer. And then he said, but on the third day, I will come back. So this was known by these two. He, they knew the storyline that was supposed to happen. But instead, they allowed Friday to derail them. They remained doubtful and hopeless. Let's continue reading in verse 19. So when Jesus said, what things, they respond with this answer. About Jesus of Nazareth, of course. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Let me stop there. 
That kind of reveals their heart, does it not? That they, in spite of having received word that would align with all that Jesus had been teaching for the week leading up to it and the days even before that, that the Christ must come to suffer and then be glorified. But they missed it. They were, they were seeing other things happen. They were seeing the power of Jesus. They were seeing the, the ability of Jesus and they were seeing the authority of Jesus. And so they built a different storyline even though Jesus was telling them the storyline. How is it that two men who was exposed to everything that Jesus had done in the previous days, they had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. So the ability to believe Jesus to do a resurrection should not have been a struggle for them because they knew about Lazarus. It should not have been a struggle for them to accept the storyline because the storyline said, I will suffer. And they saw it. And then Jesus said that on the third day I would raise again. And here it is, the third day, and there is testimony that angels had showed up and said, he is risen. But no, they held on to their doubt and they held on to their hopelessness. You see, they said we had hoped he was the Messiah, which reveals that they had a different storyline in mind, even though Jesus had clearly revealed the story. So how is it that two people that were close confidants of Jesus could come to such a place of hopelessness and doubt? Well, I believe the first reason for such a heart of hopelessness is that the impression that Jesus had made upon them was so significant by raising a man from the dead, showing authority over rulers and powers, and then teaching with authority in the temple and healing people within the temple, that this impression led to such a big vision that they allowed themselves to create a different story. So big impressions set up big expectations, but these expectations were their own story. They said Jesus was a prophet when talking to Jesus in this moment. He was a prophet that we thought was going to be the king. And then they used also in past tense, he was a powerful speaker and communicator, powerful in action as well, but again, past tense. And they said, and we knew that he had approval from both people and God. You see, God had spoken multiple times from heaven where people could hear, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So they had heard these things, they had seen these things, but instead they created their own storyline, their own set of expectations. So the first thing is to reason for hopelessness is because they literally missed the story. Clearly revealed, but their own expectations got in the way. Number two, Jesus died at the hands of the people that he seemingly had more power than and had been displayed as having more authority than for the previous days. How is it, if he is going to be the Messiah and the Christ, could these weak, moralistic, immoralistic leaders all of a sudden have enough power and authority to crucify him? They couldn't reconcile it that these immoral leaders, these immoral priests, somehow now had the ability to crucify him. They couldn't reconcile that. 
Thirdly, they, were, they, they also failed to go back to Scripture. If you're struggling with the storyline and you're hearing all these things being spoken of and then you allow them to be, remind you of things Jesus said throughout the week, wouldn't it make sense to go see what the Bible would say? Because after all, it was the Bible that said who the Messiah was supposed to be, who the Christ was supposed to be, and gave the descriptions within. But they did not examine the scriptures. Instead, they embraced their emotions. They held on to their emotions. And then, in the face of testimony from the women and the men that had gone to the tomb, would they choose? Did they choose belief and investigation into that story, into the testimony of multiple people? No. They instead emphatically emphatically chose doubt, enough so that they hit the road. Does anybody want to go with me? I'm going back to Emmaus. Cleopas says, I'll go. I'll jump in. So they go, holding on to their doubt, and they're, but, but they can't help themselves. They're talking about it. They're processing it, but they're in the wrong place. They're not where they should be. They should have stayed behind to see what God is doing. They should stay behind to examine the scriptures to see if this lines up with the prophecies of the Messiah. But instead, they walk away. Let's see how Jesus handles this beginning in verse 25. Jesus says to them, how foolish you are how, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with, the prophet, with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. It was then that their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared before their sight. Truth trumps doubt. And I'm not speaking of our president. Truth trumps doubt. Truth will always prevail over doubt if you'll allow doubt to seek the truth. They were chided for being foolish, for not embracing the, the storyline that was right there before them that had been given to them, and they'd even heard and seen it. They had all the ability to use their five senses to realize the truth was right there. But instead, Jesus says you were a fool because you embraced your hopelessness and your doubt rather than belief. And then Jesus says that did you not know? Did you not know that the Messiah, the Christ, must suffer before he receives his glory? That suffering was required before glory could ever happen. Because that's why Jesus came, was that he was supposed to come to suffer at the hands of men, to experience a death that was not due him, so that when he died, he was, became the perfect lamb of God, by which 
all sins can be covered with belief and confession to his lordship. And now Jesus stands in glory, but they could not see it because they did not accept the fact that the Messiah had to suffer first. So what did Jesus do? He didn't just chide them for, for having disbelieved or to, for being hopeless. Instead, what did he do? He took them back to the scriptures and began with Moses, which would be the first five books of the Old Testament, and explained the law first. The law is found in the first five books, and, and, you, and he explained how the law reveals that you and I are sinners. I hope that's not the first time you realize that declaration. That the first five books simply reveals a holy standard of God that is impossible for you and I to achieve. There is nothing you and I could do to be holy enough, righteous enough, to be able to be holy enough to have a relationship with God unhindered. And God understood that. And so Jesus explains that the law reveals our sin. But then he explains that the prophets also tell us how God will then reveal, how God will then reveal himself as the Messiah and how he will save. So he didn't just stop with, with helping these men on the road understand that they're sinners. He then took them to the prophets, which revealed a suffering Savior who will then redeem them and explains how that uh, hope will be built in to that uh, great sacrifice done by Jesus Christ. And so then after sharing about the prophets, then what does Jesus do? He sits down at the table with them, he breaks the bread, and passes it to them. Ding, 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 ding. It's Jesus. Because Thursday night, these men experienced that moment where Jesus took the bread, broke it, and passed it out and said, this is my body, which is for you. And all of a sudden, they realized that they had been talking with Jesus the entire time. And then it's starting to connect that indeed Jesus was going to be the suffering servant, that Jesus was going to suffer so that greater glory could come. And part of that glory is a redeemed people you realize that for those who trust in the work of Jesus Christ and who declare him as Lord are part of the glory of Jesus Christ. Because how else can you say that God looks upon sinners like us and says, whiter than snow? That you are righteous before his eyes, that you are perfect before his eyes, all because of the suffering sacrifice of Jesus. And then not only is there coverage, but now we have life because that life was provided as he resurrected from the dead. He is now that advocate, that priest, that leader for you and I so that as we live out our life in the name of Jesus, we have a leader who is alive to guide. Amen. And so in this moment, it's in the breaking of bread that Jesus reveals himself. And they say, it's Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul makes this statement that is very profound about Jesus, that is often escaped by those who do not understand why Jesus did what he did. You see, he was born 
to a virgin, not of the seed of man, but of the seed of God, so that when he was born, he did not carry the curse of sin that you and I bear. He then lived his life in obedience and out of acknowledgement and worship of his Father. To this point, when he comes to the cross, he is a sinless man, never having made the mistakes that you and I had, not having the curse of the first Adam and Eve. But something profound, Paul says here, that helps me understand is that God made him who had no sin become sin for you and I so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That statement, profound, and is amazing to me because I think, how is it that I, or you, or you, or you, become the righteousness of God? But that is true because of the sin that was born upon Jesus and taken to the cross and defeated on our behalf. And see, that is the story we, we proclaim today, that the Messiah did indeed have to come and suffer so that you and I could then ultimately experience life to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful that you did not stay in the grave. I am so thankful that you declared victory over death. And I'm so grateful that we became the objects of your love to where we could then experience life and life eternal. So Jesus, in this day, we acknowledge you as the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one that was sent from God himself to come and redeem mankind. We acknowledge you that you are indeed the resurrected Lord and that you have authority over us and that as a result of your lordship and your sacrifice, we can stand in the presence of the almighty God with confidence because we have been redeemed and saved and made righteous by your blood, your sacrifice, and your resurrection that gives us life. So in this finality portion of our service, may your name be exalted. May you be lifted up and may our hearts resurrect with a, a joyful song of celebration, acknowledging how great the gift of sacrifice you made and how incredible it is that we are made righteous in the eyes of the Father. So we give our sacrifices of praise in this moment to your glory, not ours. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. So for those of you that know the text we've been reading today, you're thinking, why did you stop where you did? There's more to the story because it says that after Jesus disappeared, they said, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked to us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? So they got up, they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them and assembled, that had assembled together. And they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. 
Then the two told of what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Are your hearts burning now? If you have known Jesus Christ for a lifetime and for, for many years, are your hearts not burning now about a resurrected Lord that has redeemed you? Are you not burning now in your heart as we've read the scriptures that speak and reveal the truth of a resurrected Lord? And if you have never known Jesus, you've never declared him as Lord, is your heart burning now? If so, cry out to Jesus. If you've never cried out to Jesus before, cry out to him now. Let him save you. He desires to transform you. He desires to receive you into his presence and that you can be reconciled in relationship with him. The way you can cry out to Jesus is very simple. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says it very easily and simply. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as easy as that. Confess him as your Lord. Let him be the leader of your life and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and that this storyline of God is true. Let hopelessness go away and embrace hope. Let doubt go away and believe so that you may discover relationship with the God Almighty. That's the story of this morning is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth, the good news, that you and I can be made pure, white in snow, and become the righteousness of God. All because of a suffering Savior who resurrected from the grave on day three. Amen? Amen. If you do not know Jesus and you want to confess him as Lord for the first time in your life, we invite you to come and pray with somebody. We'll have people underneath the tomb over here to my left, the empty tomb, by the way. Amen. It's empty. It's, it's, notice it's open and lit up. We will have people underneath. They'll be glad to pray with you. I'll be up front. If somebody brought you, I'm sure they would be willing to pray with you. But we don't want you leaving here without knowing Jesus as your Lord. We want you knowing that. Having said that, may God let us see the truth of him not by our own expectations, but by the story that God has established. Let that be the truth. And let's embrace that, not our doubt. So Jesus, I pray that to be true in the lives of everyone here, that they will bend the knee and know you as Lord, confess you as Lord, and believe you as the resurrected one. We celebrate you as the King of kings and the Lord of our lives. Jesus, we love you, we confess you, we adore you, and we glorify you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Let this Easter be a day of celebration. Let the name of Jesus be on your lips. And may you go out here and celebrate him with your family and friends, not forgetting the great sacrifice. As you depart, we will be continuing the reprise of this song, O oh, Praise the Name. God bless. One.